I'm Georgie Barrett. And I'm Alex Goldstein. And welcome to the Sleep Life podcast, the show from Simba designed to help you unlock your sleeping potential. Whether you have trouble getting your head down or maybe you're interested in boosting your performance, this podcast is all about realising that sleep is very much at the foundation of everything we do whilst we're awake. Alex, what are we going to be exploring today? So today I thought it would be interesting to look at how sleep interacts with our family lives. So particularly during those earlier parts of parenthood. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that newborns uh, sleep for 16, 17 hours a day. But of course, in one, two, maybe three hour bursts, which is really irregular and (laughs) exhausting for parents. Yes, not discriminating between night or day. Not so helpful for us. Not so much. So we, we did a survey last year that found that parents get on average four hours and 44 minutes of sleep. And I think to some parents that's actually going to sound like quite a lot. Quite a lot. I thought that sounds absolutely nothing to me, <laughs> but yes. Uh, so 23% of them said that they believed that that sleep deprivation in the first year of their lives and paid them behave, uh, quote, slightly unusually. <laughs> yeah, I think it maybe qualifies for like some kind of prolonged torture, having less than five hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've been, I am a parent. Uh, I have a, an eight-year-old, so the, the very disturbed sleep days are behind me. But I think we all have a story about doing something bizarre, like putting you know, laundry in the bin or, or rubbish in the laundry hamper due to sleep deprivation. And you know, it's been a few years, but you kind of never forget the early days exhaustion. <laughs> OK, so in this episode, we're going to be looking at how we can manage this a little bit and just try and rebalance sleep life for the people who have children. Children and families. Yeah, just kind of look at some of the ways that people manage to make family life a little bit more sleepy. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'm very excited to invite a lovely guest to join us for this one today, a woman who vlogs regularly about motherhood and founder behind the online initiative Make Motherhood Diverse. She's also the mother of two beautiful children. It's Candice Braithwaite. Hello and welcome, Candice. Hi. What an introduction. Ah. <laughs> How did you sleep last night, Candice? Uh, quite well. But I I don't sleep for long. I fall asleep usually about midnight and my body naturally wakes up at five. So not the longest. So you are that, the, the parent that has less than five hours. Yeah. And not not because of my kids. My kids are brilliant sleepers, but I guess we'll talk about that more later. I work from home. So when they're about, I stop what I'm doing and I deal with them. And when they go to bed, one goes at seven, one goes at eight. Then I work till about 11, 11.30. Wow. And I keep telling myself this is only going to be for a short period. But it's been four years now. <laughs> What I really love about like all your blog posts and the videos you put together on Instagram is that you just speak really openly and honestly about like motherhood and diversity within the media. And it's like it's in this really accessible way. So it's like a great open platform. Talk us through. How old are your two children? Esme is five and RJ is 15 months and I should know because Esme, um, RJ and I share a birthday. He was Aww. born on my 30th birthday. I was um, born on my mum's birthday too. Ah, <laughs> um, yeah, one and five. So I just got past the erratic sleep with Esme and then we had to do it with RJ. But thank whoever, we got them in an amazing sleep routine, both of them. Like Esme will put herself to bed and RJ starts to get a bit ratty at five. And if he doesn't smell his bed by seven, it's a complete wrap. He's just like, what are you doing? I've been up all day working really hard, <laughs> mashing up your house. <laughs> how dare you not to put it down my cot? <laughs> That's literally how he is. And then every day, bang on eight, he's up. 
so it's not your children keeping you no. up. It's 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 the sort of vigorous routine that you have. Yeah. So less than five hours, pretty much mm. every single night. Yeah. Every single night. Yeah. How on earth does that impact you? Really, Are you tired? Yeah, really poorly. I'm not tired, but my brain gets really fuzzy. I'm not able to process a lot. And at, I'm not going to lie, I think before kids, my dad died really suddenly when I was 20, 21. And ever since then, my sleep has not been what it should be. Interesting. I had the grief process, which I'm still not at the end of, was really bad. And I don't think like things like going to view a body when you're so young, it can have really a harrowing effect on you. And nighttime would fall and I just couldn't get it together. And I think I've carried that with me. And now I'm a mother. I'm just in this habit of not sleeping well. My partner says I get night terrors a lot. Oh, wow. At least four times a week I wake up, like, screaming or saying that someone's trying to attack me. And wow. he's just like, oh, my God, put a sock in it already. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so much sympathy yeah. Yeah. so much support. <laughs> like, just stop. Um, so I, I can't blame the kids. The early days were brutal. <laughs> like, br- And I had C-sections with both. Right, so you've got recovery from operation, which is always... Yeah. Yeah, and I, add something. It, with Esme especially, my first, I just got really angry because I thought, this is insanity. Like, I'd read about it, I'd heard about it, I thought I was prepared. But the minute you close your eyes, like, they smell that and they start crying. Yeah. And I just thought, I'm going to lose my mind. Whereas with RJ, we were actually quite strict about a routine. And a lot of parents are like, oh, how could you do that? Number two, number one, he's my second. So, like, now he eats stuff off the floor and I don't care. I'm like, eats so much more dirt the second <laughs> yeah. time around. I'm like, you'll live. <laughs> and I realised that if I didn't, if I wasn't strict about his sleep routine, our lives would fall apart as a family. So he's been doing 12 hours from six weeks old. Wow. That's incredible. Like, I thought Ramona <laughs> was a good sleeper. She only did about six hours. Yeah. Like 12 hours. And to the point, midwives were like, oh, you really should wake him up. And I was like, I really shouldn't. No, no. <laughs> I really happy. shouldn't. <laughs> Alex, what's some of the science behind what happens when you have, you know, extreme lack of sleep? Yeah, so Candice has actually mentioned quite a bit of it already. So that's a sense of tiredness affecting concentration and being able to kind of be more rational about decisions and reactions to the world. So one of the things that can happen when you are sleep deprived is that you sense things as threats when they're actually relatively minor problems because your prefrontal cortex gets a bit out of the loop and your amygdala, which is kind of like the kind of primal bit of your brain that that, that we've had for sort of through evolution, gets a little bit more triggered and gets a bit more in charge of what's going on. So you, you deal with things as a fear or aggression response, which obviously children are massively illogical. And if you're dealing with somebody who's having a tantrum over, you know, an orange fell apart and they can't make it stick back together again, you want to be like mostly in command of how you respond to that. You're probably not going to be, but you want to try. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's issues around kind of rational responses and being able to concentrate and also immunity so people can find that their immunity is affected by lack of sleep and if you send children as I did I sent my daughter to a nursery when she was 11 months I caught every single thing that she came home with except I did avoid hand foot and mouth disease (laughs) it's gross by the way Uh, so uh, but I caught everything else and so part of looking after yourself and being able to kind of cope with the things that are coming in towards you is trying to get whatever sleep you can so Candice you sort of mentioned the anger you felt do you think you know it was that sort of linked back to, do you think, a lack of sleep at that point? Oh, definitely. I, I've i remarked on it before in my blog, but I actually threw a TV very small at my partner's head and he just <laughs> slipped out of the way. I'm pleased he lived 
completely lived. It may be in a different scenario if he didn't. But we were just that exhausted and I used to greet him. He'd get home about 5.30 and I'd walk down the drive and make him roll down the window and push Esme's tiny body through the car. Like, like, take it's, it's yours. Take her, take her. But it was just... Motherhood is brilliant, but that that exhaustion can also encourage like postnatal depression. A lot of that is rooted in lack of sleep. Definitely. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a definite two-way relationship between mm. sleep, depression and anxiety. Yes. And I think a lot of people probably don't realise that postnatal depression doesn't necessarily turn up straight away. It could mm. be a, a year, in any time in that kind of first year or even slightly beyond. And ongoing sleep problems can be both a symptom and an exacerbation of that. Mm. So, yeah, it's a definite connection. And, and you've been quite open about that you had quite a tricky birth with Esme. Yeah. You know, did that then have also a knock-on effect? Oh, completely. So with Esme, it was uh, an emergency C-section after 19 hours of induced labour wow. to only dilate to one well centimetre. It was just so ridiculous. I was literally begging for a C-section. They wanted to keep me on that trip for a further 12 hours with no food and I wasn't allowed to get off the bed. I was like, this is insanity. <laughs> just do what you have to do. But then three days later, I got sepsis. Oh and no one believed me. It was like, you're overreacting. It's your first child. Poor you. What do you know? And I fell asleep with my newborn on my chest. And she wriggled down. And it was this terrible smell, which woke me up. Awful smell. And I was like, oh, my God, I know they said newborns, babies, poo stinks. But this is just beyond. And long story short, it wasn't her. It was me. She'd burst my C-section wound oh. open. And out of that, you could only imagine, but I smelt like a rotting pig. Oh, my God. So she had made the infection, like, come out. She's kind of saved you. Completely, completely, because I was rushed to hospital and I'm being pulled away from my newborn. That's literally all I care about. And a registrar comes to see me about 2 a.m. and she's like, right, we're taking you down to theatre now. And I'm like, theatre? For what? Oh, my God, my baby. And she just looks at me and she's like, if you leave it till 8 a.m., will be putting a tag on your toe. Like, she was really aggressive in oh, her God. messaging. She was like, you will die. You're slipping into septic shock and we have to go now. You need to live for the baby. And so I was parted from Esme for four weeks after that. Wow. So then I come home and she's almost five weeks old. I know nothing about her routine. I know so little about her. And that, so the time she did sleep, I was just like marvelling and trying to put... Because I had 22 staples in my incision after that for about two weeks. And so I was trying to put myself back together, trying to bond with this baby. And I think that traumatic experience definitely impacted my sleep, wow. for sure. Wow, that's quite the experience. Yeah. Like, really, really <coughs> tough for you, really tough for you. Um, and was your husband looking after Esme that whole time? She was between him and my mum and my stepdad. Because paternity leave, what, two weeks? Yeah. The bills still have to be paid. So he's going between her, she was in Walthamstow, and I was in hospital in Croydon. And going to work. Wow. And he didn't have a car at the time. Oh my Brilliant goodness. time. Gosh, really, really tough. Yeah. Really, really That's tough. when it really becomes important to have a network. And some yes. people are unlucky enough not to have family nearby or family who can help or want to help. And just having a network that steps in for you is so vital there. Yeah. 
Definitely. Uh, let's speak about your husband, Bode, yes. a.k.a. Papa B, who your followers will know. He does, like, feature on your podcast and on your Instagram stories. Um, is it quite 50-50 when it comes to looking after the children if they come in in the middle of the night? No, it is, like, 75-25. He does the bulk of the work. Brilliant. Like, when I first fell pregnant with my daughter, I was really strict. I was like, I'm not really down with this whole mothering thing. I'm not going to be a cleaner-upper. So if we do this, you've got to know that. And these are the dreams I have for my future. Can you facilitate them? I wasn't prepared to, like, lose myself to just being a mum. And he was like, oh, I got this. And he's so much better at all of it than me because he's got the patience of a saint. Oh, my God. And he'll go over and over and over something with them where I'm just like, why don't you understand? (laughs) (laughs) Are you uh, also in our house where the same dynamic plays out? It's amazing. (laughs) Um, And so he... and. Um, especially after what happened to Esme, his connection with RJ is really important. So he does bed and bath. That's his thing. And he gets really annoyed if someone else does it because he's like, that's our bro time. I'm just like, okay, whatever. You're going to have the bro time. (laughs) So was he the one who did the sleep training with RJ then? Yes. And he was the one who in the end got really strict with Esme because we were parted. I think I was a little too, oh no. Anything to make it. Yeah. And Six months in, he's like, no, this is really nonsense. And then one day, he just kept her up the whole day. Like, every time she tried to sleep, he'd just click in her face and, like, bring her to the sunlight and was like, wake up, Mm. it's the daytime. (laughs) And then, like, a week later, she completely got it. And I'm just like, what? We've been suffering for what? So with RJ, he was like, we're going to do this from and literally day one. I know a lot of parents frown upon it, but what worked for us is RJ going into his room from day one. The minute, oh, really? Yeah. So you didn't have six months with No, him. no. Day one, your room, baby monitor, all that jazz. It was a bit of a ache, literally getting up and down to get him because of my C-section. But it was just about getting him into being in his own space, knowing that this was quiet and dark time. And like I said, six weeks in, 12 hours straight. And did, did you do any particular training methods to get him to that point? Or was no. it just, you it, sleep now, that's it, your room? Yeah, it was just a routine. And we've bathed him every day between five and six since birth. And that it, it's like it acts as a trigger. Mm. He's now connected bath with bed. Okay. And if you don't bathe him, we tried this when we went on holiday to Barbados. You can stretch him out till midnight. Okay, so it's but that bath is like because one time we bathed him and tried to go out and he was just like all floppy. No, dude, (laughs) no, 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 this is not what I'm used to. You pulled the trigger, what was (laughs) that? That's it, I'm sleep now. (laughs) This is it. So it's a double edged sword at times, but it works. Um, Alex, what kind of training methods, sleep training methods out there? Yeah, so a lot of people do things that are related to something called controlled crying, and I think everybody. Uh, sort of interprets how that works slightly differently. But the general idea is that you have a kind of gradual process where you let children self-soothe. So if they wake up, you don't automatically step in to soothe them. Uh, And you kind of, obviously, if they go from mild whimpering to kind of full-on screaming, you're going to have to intervene. But then some people kind of just stretch it out over time. Um, I was completely terrible at that and would just step in anyway, but luckily (laughs) ended up with a child who did like to sleep for long stretches and thank God, because so do I. Uh, (laughs) And the thing is, we had for reasons that were nothing to do with wanting to keep her in there, but because of where we were living, we had her in our room with us until she was two. Uh, which was, you know, I would not necessarily recommend. But luckily, she kind of got in the general habit of sleeping when we slept. Thank uh, goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you ever do controlled crying, Candice? I don't know if it's controlled. <laughs> Uncontrolled crying? 
Yeah, definitely. It's really funny. It's not funny, but in the black community, there's this, there's this saying like, "Don't give your child too much hand," which literally means don't pick them up all the time. Okay. Like my grandparents were like, "Why are you picking that child up? Nothing is wrong." Like they were very firm on that. And you get to know your child, and I know when RJ's cry is like something's really wrong. I know his nightmare cry. He has nightmares a lot, and you'll count down from ten, and he'll go straight back to sleep. Oh, really? So you don't actually need no. to intervene at that bit. He's like the ultimate self-soother. And then his morning cry is not even a cry. It's just a shout. Just a morning. Like, dude, I'm breakfast. up now. <laughs> yeah. And so you start to understand what they want just through those cries. But, yes, during the sleep training, they a lot of the time the cry is just because they're like, I want you. Where are you? This is annoying. And it's really hard, but you kind of just have to sit on your hands. My nan was very like, if they're bathed, fed, changed, burped. There is a lot that they have to learn. And it is a teeny bit heartbreaking until you sleep through the night. And then you're just like, oh. like this is worth it. I'll <laughs> yeah. take those cries like, any day. And for some people, it's it's kind of defining the difference between day and night. So yes. some people suggest that even if they're going through night, uh, daytime naps, that the daytime naps are different qualitatively from the nighttime ones so that you've got more light, more noise. And they are just a light nap as opposed to the evening where you do the quiet and the blackout blinds and the kind of whole bath routine, bed story, all of those things. So for some people that works really well is like demarcating what is what. Yeah. Are you a napper at all if you've got less than five hours? No. No. Is <laughs> no, there time? No. I, I, I nap on planes. Plane. How out. often are you on a plane? Out. I used to be able to in a car, but the way my other half drives, not so much. <laughs> so on a plane, nap, but not in the day. No. no. I have to be really to. sick. Okay, yeah. to, in order to do that. And you mentioned that you suffer from night terrors. Um, d- does Esme ever have night terrors? No, she has her, the odd nightmare, but she's really mature. She'll come in, she'll be like, oh, I had a really bad dream, explain the dream, I'll kiss her, and she'll put herself back to bed. I won't even have to get out of bed. She's very like, oh, there's nothing scary. She does have this neon ice cream nightlight, so I'm <laughs> sure that helps. She doesn't particularly like to sleep in the pitch black, but she's very able to self-soothe. She's like, that was bad, this is reality, back to bed. Have you noticed any pattern for what causes your night terrors? Pattern? You know, um, does it come... In any... No. no. Can you, do you have no recollection of them? No. I know that... When it's happening, I feel very attacked. I'm like someone's trying to harm me or I'm in a really bad space in my mind. And then... So it's I, almost like a nightmare. Yeah. And then I wake up, I wake up and everything's fine. And I go back to sleep and I hardly ever remember it. Wow. It's when I'm told that... But your poor husband has to listen to you <laughs> screaming away. Alex, what's going on when night terrors happen? So it seems like night terrors and nightmares, which are slightly different things, mm. but they both sort of seem to happen in the REM kind of dreaming bit of sleep. And with night terrors, more common in children, but not unheard of in, in adults, certainly. And children don't tend to remember night terrors. And actually, if you go to the kind of NHS website and look it up, they, they unless the child is doing something like sleepwalking, which may put them in harm's way... It's best to just let them... It's, I think, terrifying to listen to, but best to just let them get through it because mm. in the morning they won't remember it. It does seem like they might be connected to things like overtiredness. So if they have been missing out on some sleep because you've been on holiday or the routine's got messed up for some reason, sometimes it can just be a case of kind of resetting the routine. Or it may be related to some sort of anxious anxiety behaviours or anything like that, especially if they're a slightly older child. Maybe they're struggling to settle in at school or there's some sort of dynamic that's not quite right somewhere. So it might be related to that. But a lot of children just grow out of them. 
Okay. Uh, is there a particular age where children's sleep habits start to settle a little bit more? Yeah, so there's a kind of constant change from uh, zero to teenagers. So at the beginning, you'll get kind of lots of broken up sleep because they need lots and lots of feeding in the first few months. From three to six months, it starts to lengthen out. Uh, from sort of six to two, you'll eventually start seeing a kind of daytime nap, nighttime uh, sort of longer stretches. And then as they get closer, you know, from school age, you need just one long sleep overnight, but it'll be like 10, 11, maybe 12 hours as opposed to an adult's eight. As they get to the teenage years, though, it then gets quite interesting. Their sleep cycles change when they yes. go to teenage years. So teenagers tend to shift. So we talked about circadian rhythms and, and sort of your natural body clock a few times uh, on the podcast. But basically, teenagers tend to shift forward by about an hour. So they need to go to bed that bit later. They need to wake up that bit later. They also need to sleep more than adults do. So they need like nine, ten hours where we need sort of eight-ish uh, and so for a lot of parents, it's kind of this enormous frustration of trying to haul this 15-year-old out of bed, but actually they just really want, they need to sleep. Um, and school times don't line up to how teenagers would prefer to sleep, but they do line up to how working parents have to get to work on time. So yeah, it's complicated. So your body clock's a little bit all over the place because you both go to bed late and wake up early. Again, you also work quite late, which sort of says maybe you're more of a night owl, but then you do say you naturally wake up early. Is, yeah. there, is there a time of the day that you feel like you're sort of an optimum performance? Mm, I think I'm at my best really early in the morning and then I have an, a natural slump like oh I just don't know if I can do this about 4.30 which is usually when I have coffee and I just push through but I and I know I know my body needs more sleep and I used to be that teenager who would not get out of bed yeah. Uh, yeah, I used to cane the sleep back in the day. And now I'm like, oh, was it for storage? Is it on, like, <laughs> like where is it? Oh, I, I, slept, I slept in my teenage How did it know? Like, what is this? Um, but, yeah, I am all over the place with sleep. <laughs> um, you, so you've been leading a movement for mm. the media to represent a more accurate depiction of diversity within motherhood. Mm. And what made you want to start the campaign? Um, when I had my daughter Esme, I was using Instagram specifically and motherhood was just depicted very white, very middle class, very £1,000 buggy-ish. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but black women especially, we make up a big market in the buying power. Yeah, like we absolutely. spend a lot, especially with our first kids where we want to be fly, we want to do all these things. But parenting magazines, parenting on social media just didn't seem to represent us. And I think as my thoughts for something like Make Motherhood Diverse got a bit broader I started to realize oh you're still only thinking about yourself there were disabled mothers who didn't see themselves there were Asian mothers who didn't see themselves and there were there were white middle class mothers who were going through a divorce and transitioning into a different class or a different way of working in single parenthood who didn't see themselves and I think it just it came above ground at a time when it all came to a head and was a bit blah we are bored, we are tired, we need to see more diversity everywhere. But the only reason I talk about motherhood is that's what made me realise it was a bit off. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And, and Alex, um, you have looked into whether there is a correlation between race and sleep and, and, and if there's any differences. Yeah, so we had a bit of a look at some of the studies and there's been a few reviews of studies, most of them in the US, which found a correlation between, and it was particularly black communities having poorer sleep outcomes mm. than white, and it's inescapable to link that to poorer socioeconomic status, yeah. poorer access to healthcare and opportunities. I mean, those sleep is bound to be symbiotic with health in general. Mm. 
Um, and so there, there does seem to be a connection. In doing that, we also kind of looked around cultural impacts on sleep. And that's where it got a little bit lighter, perhaps, in the sense that it was more to do with just sleep habits in the household seemed to be quite influenced by sort of people's wider family connections. So my parents are Greek immigrants. We had no concept of bedtime. You went to sleep when you were tired. So you'd go to bed really late. <laughs> yeah. We had, there was no concept of like, oh, it's, it's seven o'clock. So you'll have your, th- your, your, you know, your bath and your dinner and your bed. No, no. It was, uh, well, what, you've eaten, you're reading a book, right, whatever. When you're tired, go to bed. You're yawning. So off you go. Uh, which uh, was very, very self-regulating. Um, and I mean, I think if you ever go on holiday anywhere in Europe, as you go east and south, you find the bedtimes and, and the whole routine gets later, right? So especially in countries where you have a lunchtime siesta culture, Nothing starts in the evening until nine o'clock. Yeah. Like people go out for dinner at that time. So there's loads of kids around the taverna until like 11 o'clock at night. And to kind of like very British opinions, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's so late. Why are they out so late? Um, so, I mean, I think there was there were kind of racial impacts. There were mm. cultural impacts. And it all kind of does seem to come around sort of routine, healthcare, all those mm. elements coming into play at the same time. Uh, Candice, your grandparents came over from Jamaica, is that right? Um, my dad's ones, yes. My mum's from Barbados. Okay, and did they bring any sort of sleep rituals or routines that you can remember that were a bit different? <sighs> just don't up? pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. My granddad was just... I was raised by my maternal granddad. My mum and dad went back to work and I lived with my maternal grandparents and I was raised primarily by him and he just was very about routine. Okay, so routine A bit like was... how we are with RJ... This is bedtime, hot chocolate, read a book, that kind of thing. And also, it wasn't so hard to do back then, but it was literally no TV after five. Like, you just couldn't look at a screen. You had to pick up a book. Okay, Ahead of their time? Yeah. They knew what they were doing. so much <laughs> Yeah, So much. Yeah, yeah. Well, screen time is interesting, isn't mm. it? Because we hear a lot about the negativity of the blue light of mm. screen time on your sleep. Um, but there has also been a study that shows actually it may not have as big an impact as people are making out. So, yeah, there was one study quite recently of teenagers that found that the, the sort of sleep delay or the lack of sleep may only affect them by about 15 or 20 minutes. So, I mean, look, I'm a parent who lets their kid use screens. We do have a screens off hour before bedtime. But, you know, I don't really mind too much about stopping screen time during the day and things like that. However, I can see an argument in teenage years for maybe having the screens off time, not just because of the blue light, because the blue light may not be affecting the amount of sleep that much. But I don't think teenagers are watching like a relaxing period drama before they go to bed. I think, (laughs) you know, do you know what I mean? So I think if they're doing things that are making them stressed or anxious, I think the bigger implications of that on sleep and on their daily lives are such that actually having a bit of a screen blackout may have benefits that aren't just to do yeah. with, oh, the well, the, the blue, yeah, yeah, it's 20 minutes. Well, 20 minutes makes quite a big difference, especially when you're not getting the full hours yeah. that you should be getting because school time is early or whatever. But also maybe it's to do with just helping them live slightly more relaxed lives. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have rules around Esme using screens? Or uh, she's still a bit too young? I know, she was terribly addicted. We'd done the most... Fo- I know it's foolish, no-one needs to leave a comment, but <laughs> when she was about two or three, we had this battered iPhone that we took the SIM out of and she just used it for Netflix. Mm. So she'd take it out, download her little shows in, and she got so addicted. Really? You really To the noticed. point that when the battery was dying, she'd start crying, oh, like gosh. hyperventilating, oh, my God, it's going to die. And I was just like... It was like I, it was like looking at some mini addict. I was like, "This is terrible." You've created a monster. And then I remember one day she lost it again, and then her dad went away, and I could just hear this horrendous banging. He'd smashed the phone to smithereens with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then he came back with the pieces in his hand like, this is more for us than it is for you. This ends. <laughs> and I never forget. So when he talked about his patience, can you imagine what it took to get to that point? And her little face. Oh, she was like, bless her. But from that day, now she's got a little um, tablet thing. She mm. she knows. She's like, right. Too, she will come to you and be like, too much time. I'm really? going to go and play now. Like, it's burned into her memory. She's like, I don't want to lose this. Let me not be on it <laughs> all day. She knows what's at stake. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Because obviously a lot of your job is having to be on your phone and interact with social media. Do you have any sort of rules of trying to be off at a certain time or does it ever sort of <sighs> intervene with your with your sort of rest time? Yeah, and you've, this is, you've, come, you've said this at the most sensitive time. I'm just now looking for someone to manage my socials. I want nothing to do with it. It can be a very toxic space. It can take so much from me. But right now, the way my life is managed, that's the bulk of my income. So these spaces have to exist. But I'm now learning to set boundaries. And I just sat up the other night and I was like, I'm going to put out word for someone to do this. I, I make enough money to now have someone else help with these boundaries. And I think when social media is part of your job, you've got to be really yeah. harsh mm-hmm. about saying, no, this is a boundary. And f- because of the way I've grown on social media, bless them, people literally think they know me. They, mm. they really believe that. They really believe they can message me anything. They don't see it as violence. They don't see it as bullying. And so I'm tired of having to reiterate that. So how about when you message me things, you think I've seen it, but I haven't. Yeah. Because I'm now paying someone Somebody. else to do that. And not everyone's going to have to do that because not everyone uses social media for. But I've just seen the way it can literally suck the life and then the sleep out of you because you just fall down this scroll hole. And before you know it, it's 1am and you're looking at tiles in Germany and you're like, (laughs) I'm not even doing my kitchen. Why am I here? It's so true. Then you then you fall into the comparison game. It's like my child's not doing that. Why is my child not like this child? And oh god, just that way, utter madness. Do you follow quite a lot of other mummy bloggers? A a huge amount, a huge amount, and. Part of it is I really like them, but another part is also that we're colleagues. And then there's this awkward crossover where it's like, oh, friendship, but office space, but, oh, but I didn't comment. What are you going to think when I next see you? And it, quite frankly, it's been driving me a bit mad the past couple months. So I'm like, right, having someone manage that helps level out that playing field in my mind. Yeah, there just needs to be a little bit of space. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you also, I love this, record your podcast <laughs> from your bed. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Pillow Talk. And it started as my husband and I going on Instagram live. And then what would happen is the live would disappear and the conversation's just gone. And it was getting really annoying. So we just bought this cheapo microphone and propped it on the end of a bed. It's in like a candle holder. <laughs> and that's how we... Sophisticated I setup. Know. Love it. And now someone's offered us studio time, but it doesn't make sense. No, no we're really no. comfy. <laughs> no. So that's what it is. And I think people love it because it is so rough. Yeah. Like, literally, you can hear the bed sheets cackling and sirens going past. <laughs> <laughs> I and we're just like, love hold it. on, let's just wait for the police to finish. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, Alex, I'm sure there's some rules about not working from your bed. I mean, ideally, you would have a bedroom environment that was just for sleeping and intimacy. But, you know, we, we've t- I say it so many times, it makes me sound like the ultimate fence sitter, but people do find their, their way. Um, and But so much of motherhood is taking in all these influences and questions and like, should I be doing this? And is this bad? And But this person does something else. And, you know, especially when it comes to motherhood, I kind of want to go, do you have a thing that works for you? Is everyone happy? Great. Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. Just, and I guess with something like that, then, you know, you're working right up until the point before you go to sleep. You're like, what a productive day. Just recorded a podcast before I put my alarm on and went. It's, went it's, it can be really bad, though, because then the conversation spills over mm. after we've, like, ended it. And yeah. Like, oh, my God. Again, it's that distinction that, yeah. that, that probably is contributing to your just five hours a night of sleep. <laughs> I do always think if anyone recorded those last five minutes before couples go to sleep yeah, and the exactly. insane conversations oh. that you have at that moment. Oh, that is an idea. That is an idea, isn't it? <laughs> that is an idea. Just saying. You know, it's fine. Anyone can use it. Uh, <laughs> if, if you know you've got work the next morning and you've had quite a sleepless night, do you ever sort of get anxious around that or, or are you quite good at just sort of powering through the next day? I only get anxious if I wake up what I define as late. So 7am is too late for me. So I naturally wake up at 5 and then sometimes I can slip back into sleep and then wake up panicked at 7. Only because those my daughter starts school at 9. It's two hours to get yourself a one-year-old and a five-year-old ready. And then my husband being like, oh, where's the deodorant? I've lost a sock. And all (laughs) of it. It's just a bit too much. And I've got my makeup routine down to 20 minutes, but I still end up feeling flustered. Yeah. And I think that's when I lose my weight I've only just started to like look at the weather for the week and lay out all my clothes for the week oh wow that's down very to earrings organized. I'm like because the the other thing that takes time is that faffing of what outfit what this what that yeah yeah so yeah. do you find that since you get up at, at five that you're up before everybody else usually yes. so is and that your it. golden yeah. moment and I'm currently writing a book and I because you didn't have enough to do <laughs> I know this chapter this week I've been like was this the best idea um and that period is the sweet spot for writing well between like five and seven a.m just like birds Mm. and no noise I can really get into it whereas if I even write late at night I'm normally thinking about what Esme said about what's happened at school and all this other stuff is sinking into my brain yeah yeah Um, and I saw recently that you revamped your bedroom as well is that sort of conducive for a better night's sleep do you feel more rested now definitely those magnolia halls (laughs) my head in and I went I was going to say we but I won't lie I went for this really dark green called green smoke or something Mm. I love green it's just really tranquil yeah and all the rest of the house still needs doing but to know that my room our private space is like beyond my wildest dreams I just go in there and I'm just like I'm so happy. <laughs> on, on a practical note, choosing dark walls, I know a lot of people kind of object to too many dark mm. shades on walls. They feel the room maybe looks smaller, but actually it's very good at blocking out light because yeah. you don't get the reflections when the light yeah. leaks through the curtains so much. You probably will sleep better. If, if there's one room where you're going to go a little bit more kind of cocooned and womb-like, yeah. the bedroom's probably the one. Brilliant. Well, you've done a very good job. Um, so finally, as a mum, what would you say your top tip would be in terms of just sort of being a little bit kinder to yourself and just maybe improving your sleep life? Just not, again, not letting the judgments of others like cloud your mind. And then also just putting your phone down, especially in that feeding period of motherhood. I know it's so easy for people to reach for their phone and be scrolling as you're breastfeeding or whatever, but try and like listen to an audio book. 
try and still stay in a sleep routine even though your sleep is being broken because what I found especially with Esme oh yes it's 1am she's just gone back to sleep but then I'm scrolling till 3 yeah mm. so your brain is sort of yeah. overstimulated you've already been locked into the whole yeah and I know it, I, when people said oh sleep when they sleep I used to think oh yeah easy for you to say no there are I look back there were so many times I didn't sleep when she was asleep when I could have mm. and it's about staying in that like nothing you're going to find on social media is going to be as good as resting whilst the baby's resting that's a very good tip um, and, and Alex the sleep sleep when they sleep that's almost the biggest tip isn't it it is it was a thing I heard parent. endlessly mm. before I had Ramona and it's you know it sounded like oh very easy to say but I think even if you can't sleep when they sleep do something restful yeah. absolutely so for some people restful is tidying cleaning for me it mm. definitely wasn't <laughs> Uh, and you know it will get done it's like just it, the main thing is just do whatever helps you recharge at that moment um, and ultimately yeah if you try and put the screens down for a bit maybe read a magazine or a book or listen to something it might just help stop you spiralling into the kind of distractions and things that just make you feel more tense any other easy wins you'd add to that? Um, I mean I guess uh, don't compare is a good one uh, because particularly when parents are a bit obsessed with numbers. So it's how many months, how many weeks, how long, how tall, how short, how heavy. Uh, and how, how much time sleeping is another one that I think people can feel like they're being beaten with, even if the person who said it didn't mean it that way. Uh, so just are you OK? Are they OK? Are you overly tired? Are they overly tired? No, then keep going mm. brilliant well Candice thank you so much for coming in and talking about your sleep life it's been an absolute pleasure having you thank you for having me thank you so much thank you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sleep Life. Make sure you subscribe and we'd also love it if you could rate or review this episode. Now, we talk a lot in this podcast about things you can do to change your day-to-day behaviour or sleep environment, all of which are really important. But one of the easiest things you can do is just making sure you're sleeping in a bedroom that's really set up to help you sleep better. And that's what Simba is all about. You can check out Simba's award-winning hybrid mattress at simbasleep.com where you'll also be able to find the rest of Simba's range designed to solve common sleep problems. We'll be back soon with another deep dive under the covers. In the meantime, don't forget to check out our bonus episodes where you'll find soothing sleep stories designed specifically to help you drop off. Until then, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.